The thrill and excitement of March Mania is here, and DraftKings Sportsbook, one of America's top-rated sportsbook apps, is giving new customers a shot to turn 5 bucks into $150 instantly in bonus bets with any college basketball bet. You can find all the lines and available odds, of course, at the DraftKings Sportsbook app. North Carolina listeners, don't forget, DraftKings Sportsbook is now live in your state. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and use code SBNFL. New customers can bet 5 bucks to get $150 instantly in bonus bonus bets only at DraftKings Sportsbook with code SBNFL. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 8778-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash bball for eligibility, deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. Welcome to the Midweek Mailbag. We are back. It is schedule release week. It is rookie minicamp week. Things are kind of happening here. We actually have stuff to talk about, uh, despite the fact that the, the NFL draft is now a couple weeks in the rearview mirror. My name, by the way, is Jeremy Reisman. I'm the producer over at Pride of Detroit, Detroit Lions beat writer. Find me at Detroit Online on Twitter. With me, as always, for the midweek mailbag is also a Detroit Lions beat writer. He is also the managing editor of Pride of Detroit, and you can find him at Eric Schlitt on Twitter. Eric Schlitt is here. Buddy, what's going on? I think there's still a lot to talk about, right? Like, I think there's like, it's just the the questions from a thirsty fan base is uh, never ending. And uh, that's why I enjoy the uh these weekly mailbags so that we get to uh interact and answer as many questions as we can yeah uh, we do these every wednesday live on our twitch channel twitch.tv slash pride of detroit usually around the 12 30 p.m eastern time but obviously we upload this to the podcast feeds as well and yes we answer questions live every wednesday let's let's just jump right into it now uh let's start with one of our 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 good question askers common question askers uh <laughs> jason krolik over on twitter at krolik asks with the improvements the Lions have made in the offseason, could the Lions be really good in pass defense in the middle of the field, i.e. tight ends, running backs, slot wide receivers, something they have struggled with mightily in the past? Um, I think this is a really good question because you do look at some of the changes the Lions have made, and it seems to maybe have kind of focused on stopping that. So is that are, are you making that connection that maybe the Lions are going to be better at that this year? You invested a first round pick, a second round pick and a high profile free agent all on the middle of the field. And so, uh, yeah, I think that is very much a focus. You have uh, two very starter capable guys that can match up with with tight ends and running backs out of the backfield. You spent a first round pick on a linebacker specifically so that he can put himself in situations uh, where he can contribute as well. And so. Yeah, you add three players uh, in high-profile roles. Uh, it it sure seems like they're setting themselves up, or at least making the effort to uh, improve in that area. I guess the question is like, is that a conscious effort thing? Is that a like, hey, this is where the NFL is going? As teams are just getting killed up the middle type of thing, or is that just like how the the chips fell this year? Is that you know? Because like you, you listen to what Brad Holmes said, like when they were getting CJ Gardner Johnson, it didn't seem like that was we need to get uh, we need to upgrade our nickel and free agency. Let's go get it. It was more like 
this guy's still available. This guy still didn't sign <laughs> like a monster deal. Well, let's yeah. throw ahead and see if we can get him. So I, I guess that that's like, I don't know if this was a conscious effort, but I do agree. Like, yeah, they, they should be a lot better up the middle of the f- field. And that's, uh, that's a good thing. I, I don't know if that's really how you win in the NFL necessarily. Um, but obviously like in the, in the recent years, that nickel position has become more and more and more and more important as people are in sub packages more and more and more often. Um, but yeah, like I, I guess to the original question is I, I definitely feel strongly that they should be better at doing that this year. I don't, you know, you can't throw a ton of expectations on, on, on Jack Campbell. It's not like, Oh, he's going to be perfect covering the middle of the field. Now he's like, it's an upgrade automatically. Um, he should be better, but it's going to take some time too for him to get used to it. But um, yeah, I don't, I, 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 go ahead. I do think it was a conscious effort okay. um, because, because of the fact that they drafted branch, sure. at, which means that he was on their radar, which yeah. means that they were looking to upgrade the position. And if they didn't sign Gardner Johnson and they just got branch, we'd still say that was a big upgrade, right? For sure. And the fact is they got both and they got both because they kind of fell into those positions. Now they were aggressive. Keep in mind, they were, they were aggressive in going to get branch, jumping the Patriots, making an inner division trade like, or inner, uh, yeah, inner uh, NFC North trade in order to go and get, you know, some stability. So I do think it was a conscious decision to try and get stronger in the middle. But but Branch also kind of feels like it a little bit of falling into the lap, like, oh, he's still on the board. Okay, let's go get him. Yeah. But at the same time, this was a draft that had multiple slot guys you could find at different spots. And we don't know who maybe they could have targeted someone later. But the aggressiveness to go get Branch because of he was good value, uh, I think, indicates to me that it it was a something they had planned and kind of like an interesting reversal of this is the lines on offense have also gotten better in those positions. Yeah. <laughs> They've gotten better. Like they got Amon Ra, obviously manning it down for the last two years. You get Sam Laporta this year, and then you can put Jameer Gibbs in the slot the now too. Um, yeah. So yeah, maybe, maybe this is like their kind of sneaky identity on both sides of the ball is like, let's just tear yeah. it up over the middle. Well, if we look at the last like two years, they focused on the trenches in the exterior, right? right? And then Inside this out. year they they kind of this year they started focusing on that in that in that middle and then adding depth on the outside. And so it is a little bit of a reversal of a draft strategy, but it makes sense based off of you know how they built the team over the first couple of years. Speaking of reversal of draft strategy, uh, this question comes from Ethan Miller at Ethan Miller OA on Twitter it says. Does the 2023 draft class have to be viewed within the context of the 2021 and 2022 classes? Holmes seemed to prioritize positional value for the first and second drafts, but put less of a priority on positional value once the roster was in better shape. Is well, that I mean, like, yeah, I mean, in an ideal world, you would be able to analyze each team's draft based on what their roster is and based on, like, length of contracts who they have on like that's right. ideally what what beat writers should be doing is is right. trying to add that context right from a national perspective yeah they don't they, that gets lost they, they look at guys and they just say oh well sure. look they had a hole they don't look really beyond this season and so there's a very different lens to look through when you're uh analyzing drafts since that's that's why i tend to like um the opinion of like the local guys as opposed to like the national grades, like you might get from Kuiper or, you know, someone like that because they know the team on a more intimate level and they can uh, ascertain where does this pick fit both short and long-term. 
it, it's interesting though because the the idea that like okay now that the roster is, is kind of set across the board the lines can pick anywhere they want they can they they can ignore positional value can they just get the guy that they like the most i would argue it's kind of been that way the entire time because early on it was like you have needs everywhere yeah. so you can get you get whatever guy you like the most if you're going to ignore positional value ignore positional value um but to me it was like they they've always kind of had their Brad Holmes has always kind of had his pick of the litter at whatever position he wants because the Lions are were early on not hamstrung by anything because they had a, they needed everything and now they're not hamstrung by anything in the immediate because they don't need anything immediate but they kind of do in the long term so whatever like build build whatever guy you want but but I'm with you like I think I think it has to be a little bit more detailed analysis than that and and Brad Holmes can say he doesn't bring in the the depth chart and he doesn't know who's signed multi-year deals, but I think you and I both agree that like, there's a little bit of BS in that talk. <laughs> um, and, and so I don't know. I, 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 I find this, this seems like a little bit excuse making in terms of ignoring positional value. And I promise we won't talk about positional value forever again. <laughs> um, but I just, it, it's interesting. It's an interesting <clears throat> concept though. Like, do you, do you adhere to the strategy? Like, you can ignore positional value if you're raw. Like you, you can do those luxury picks, and 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 you can argue whether Jameer Gibbs is a luxury pick or not. But once your your roster is in a certain place, you, you're you're allowed to take more risky, more non traditional positions and things like that. Yeah. Do you, do you agree with that? Well, you know, I now that we're a couple weeks out, yeah, I've actually tried to go back and reread a couple of older things that I had um, or what I thought the team might be doing. I've tried to listen. I've actually listened to a couple old podcasts to see like, what was I thinking and why was I thinking that mm -hmm. um, to, so that I can try and, you know, learn as, as we move forward. Self-scouting in the off season. Oh yeah. I always do. Uh, so, <laughs> um, but what I, what I was, when I was listening to, my breakdown on running backs, I kept coming across the Daniel Jeremiah approach and says, if you have a good team that can win, and, and this was this was applied to Bijan, not to Gibbs, but it, it's sure. still applicable, right? Sure. But the idea was, if you are a team that can win now, then you can take a running you can take a running back higher than a bad team because you're not wasting those snaps, right? right? And if you're a bad team, you're wasting a couple years of snaps on that running back and you're not getting your maximum value. For a team like the Lions that are in win now, drafting a running back, even if it's you know, quote unquote a reach, right? You're getting maximum value out of that player if you're a good team. And, that, and I think everyone agrees that the Lions are in a spot where they are going to maximize that value. And so I do find it interesting um, when we look at it from like that approach is, um, you know, where the Lions, where did they invest? Are they are they getting max value? And, and did, are their reaches really reaches or are their reaches you know, quote unquote reaches like things that they thought that they can maximize that player's snaps, you know, by taking a, a, a position earlier than normal. Yeah, that's it's an interesting theory. Right. And and I think part of it is that running back is one of the, the few positions where you can expect a big impact right away. Right. And that's obviously more valuable to a team that that is in contention than a team that is out of contention, Um, because, yeah, running back is a short like one of the things we've been saying forever is like running back is a short shelf life. So if you want to 
if you want to draft one early and get all four years of or all four or five or whatever, um, you know, if you want to throw in a, a um, fifth year a franchise tag and a fifth year yeah. option, maybe six years. Um, mm-hmm. It makes more sense to do that as yeah, I, I, I guess that does make a little bit more sense to do it as a as a contending team. Um, you, you could certainly make the argument for other positions, too, as long as they are those sure. immediate impact positions. So like an edge. You get mm-hmm. that extra um, time because they're that's a position that you can get immediate value out of. Um, maybe linebacker. <laughs> we'll we'll see. Um, All right. Uh, probably not tight end because uh, that's usually one that takes some time to develop. Tackle is definitely mm-hmm. one. Guard is potentially one. So I mean, it, it's an interesting theory and and one that I think does have some validity to it. I just think you can also apply it to other positions as well. I I, I and to tie into this, I do think like the Lions view it that way because that's literally what Brad Holmes was saying on draft night. We think these guys are ready to play now. Right. And and so they're expecting these guys to come out and and be on the field and be rolling from jump. And so hopefully that happens. Yeah. I, the only thing I would push back on there is that I I think there's this notion that Brad Holmes went out, with a again a, a purpose to to make sure he got instant impact guys in this draft, and again I think that that's just the 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 hand that he was dealt right right because I mean yeah we, we don't have to relitigate the whole like Devin Witherspoon thing but if he was there I think we're all not not a hundred percent confident but pretty sure pretty like confident yeah. he was going to be the pick and that that is a down the line pick right that is I mean you might get instant yeah. impact from him um but the lines are in a pretty good shape at outside corner right now so. It would probably yeah. If, if you if you yeah if you draft Witherspoon you trade up for Gibbs now you're right. missing you're missing out on Laporta probably you might be missing out on Branch you're probably missing out on Campbell and so like it's a totally different draft that I think um, yeah I, I do agree with you that the fact that he got multiple guys that are ready to contribute wasn't necessarily something he went in thinking he needed but that's where the the cards fell and that's what he took advantage of. Uh, one of the positions they did not draft uh, until late uh, was guard. Maybe, maybe to your dismay. I know that was something that you were, <laughs> were hoping for. Um, but but uh, that left uh, Jonah Jackson as as one of our, our quote unquote winners of the draft. And so this question is about him from sure. between the numbers on Twitter. Uh, it says, does front loading and extension for Jonah Goff, Amon Ross St. Brown, Sewell make sense with the Lions current cap situation? Traditionally extensions lower uh, the immediate year cap hit, but then, uh, um, you know, backload it. So does it make sense to maybe front load some of these deals, given that the Lions have a little bit of wiggle room right now? Um, I could see the value in it for sure, yeah. because you're getting the bulk of the con- of the contract um, taken care of immediately. And that, you know, lessens your need uh, or gives you more freedom, I guess, down the line. Um, but at the same time, the the benefit of backloading is that you're working with an ever increasing cap, right? And because the cap is is always growing, because the NFL is just a monster, um, you, the the do, your dollar today is going to cost less tomorrow than it does now, and so you. You can always push that money later because you're going to get that room. And so that's always the big advantage of backloading those contracts. And yes, it gives you the freedom. Like you can can load up guarantees up front and then that surely will help you. But you only do that if you're with a guy that's maybe, you know, you're not sure if it's going to be be able to, uh, you know, play out the entire contract, right? 
with a, if you're extending Jonah, I think you just backload it like you normally do. You take the extra money if you you know you take the extra money that you would have had that you maybe would have used on him in a front loaded contract, and then you just roll that over, and now that's yeah. enough that's more money to help you later as well. So there's kind of a dual beneficial uh, dual benefits to to backloading contracts for teams. I, I do think it would be interesting to maybe front load guarantees for a guy like Jared Goff if you are going to give yes. him an extension. Um, because we've been talking about the timeline with him and Hendon Hooker and and Dan Campbell's comments this week saying like, yep. yeah, he he could be our future starter, but that's not going to happen for a long time. So maybe, I mean, it seems like at this point, Jared Goff extension is going to happen one way or the other because it just the timeline doesn't seem to match up with Hendon Hooker being ready by by year two or year three or whatever it needs to be. But maybe you give, I don't know, you give golf like a three, two or three year extension, and then you kind of front load year one and year two, so that that year three is more more like an option than it is, um, right? An, an actual third year. Um, and, it's kind of like how his contract is now, kind right? Of, yeah. Like hey, all the guarantees were way up early, right? Um, and they're dissipating very fast. Um, but yeah, in terms of everything else, like I'm I'm, I'm with you. Like I think backloading contract is there's a reason people do it. And it's not just that money is is worth less in the future, right? If against a bigger cap, it's that you like if you need wiggle room, emergency wiggle room, you want to have it. Uh, and if you don't yeah. use it, great, it just rolls over to next year anyways. Right. And so, um, if you front load something with Jonah, where you're you're increasing his cap hit a lot this year, you're you're lessening wiggle room now and and giving more wiggle room in the future when. You have all sorts of options in the future, right? We saw what the Lions did right. this offseason. You can do a crazy amount of things. You can ask people to take pay cuts. You can you can cut people. You can you can turn uh you know salaries into bonuses, that sort of stuff. If you do it now, you tighten everything around you right now. And if the Lions are in a win now position, they're gonna want some wiggle room just in case. Like maybe someone comes available at the trade deadline that you really like. Maybe someone gets a cut in the middle of the season that you really like. Maybe you get a bunch of injuries. Like you want as much wiggle room now as possible just to keep yourself competitive in case of emergency. Yeah. Look, if you're a contender and you're rolling through the season and you're in a good spot and then you have a major injury and someone is on the trade block at that same spot, that's, that's a, that's incredibly valuable to have that luxury. All right, let's try to fit one more in here before we go to break. Uh, Dennis Gray at Gray uh, D E N N on Twitter asks, did Lions miss out by not taking advantage of Swift's contract year? Um, well, look, I, the thing is, is you got a future fourth for that contract is essentially what you did. Right. Mm-hmm. So, um, I don't think they're necessarily missing out. I get the the advantage of like keeping a cheap back for depth on the option or you know option uh, on the roster. Yeah. But he would have been RB3. And when you look at like what RB3 does, one they're heavily involved on special teams. Sure. And two, uh their touches are pretty minimal. We're talking like 6 to 10 yeah. max, right? Um, Swift doesn't play special teams. And so if you're going into a game and you have Gibbs and Montgomery as your top two options, would get, would Swift even be active? And if he is, 
you're going to have to then sacrifice a different position to keep him active. Right. And so there's got to have to be a game plan for him. So I get the idea of depth and I, and I, and it, and cheap depth, cheap depth is, is great to have, but you also have to have that player doing multiple things. And I don't think he was. So getting a future draft pick for him, um, I think was, you know, I, I don't know how much better they could have done, to be honest. They, it was a bad situation. I, I want to take Jameer Gibbs out of the the, the, the conversation here. Let, let's pretend like they didn't draft him or let's let's talk about him. Let, let's say you have Swift here as your number two. Um, yep. Is it I mean, the, the expectations for 2023 and him are are still relatively low. I mean, we were talking about him all offseason like. This is last year in Detroit. Good luck. Like the idea of him sticking around long-term was, was low. I think the confidence in level in him was low and, and there's this whole like contract year thing, right? Where there's this narrative out there that you get a guy in a contract year, look out. He's playing for money. Um, I did, I did about two minutes worth of research uh, before we got on the show when I saw this question, because I was curious whether that, has any ground in reality or if that's just a narrative from fans and mm-hmm. PFF did uh, a couple studies on this or it was either PFF or, or football outsiders and basically found that not really a thing. <laughs> um, and so this idea that like, Oh, you have, you have Swift really cheap. You have him motivated for a contract here. You're going to finally get the best of Swift. I think that is a lo- that that's, that's a gamble that they were probably going to lose if that's what they wanted to do. Um, so they they get Jameer Gibbs. They they set themselves up for the future. They upgrade in the immediate. In the meantime, I get it. And and, and at that point, I think you don't have any, any choice. I think at that point, you're, you're trading Swift. Um, seems like there were a lot of teams interested. So I think a lot of people were concerned. With the minute you drafted Jameer Gibbs, you lost all of your your leverage in a leverage. Trade. Yeah, I don't think that's true. I think there were enough people interested in Swift that it raised the price. And listen, I still I still maintain that a future fourth, even if it is two years in the future. I think that's more than than I expected them to get. And it, and on a guy yeah. on, a, on, on a really cheap um, last year of his deal, you know, didn't sign an extension with the Eagles. I, I think that's totally fair and, and, and a good deal for the Lions. Yeah, if if you lost leverage, you would get a deal worse than what you got for a CUDA. Right. Which right. means we're talking like a six round fifth, a seventh round pick. Yeah. Um, And, and, and that's that's just how the trade market works uh, with, with players at this time of the year. And so, um, yeah, I think a fourth rounder, no matter when it comes, uh, I thought was uh, more than what I thought they would get. All right, let's take a break. Uh, we're going to answer some questions to our live audience here on Twitch. But when we come back, we'll answer more questions from Twitter, from Twitch, from anywhere you want to send us questions right here on the Midweek Mailbag. We'll be right back. Hey, this is Scott Galloway, author, professor, entrepreneur, and most importantly, host of the Prop G podcast. We got a special series running on right now called The Future of Work, where I answer all your questions on, surprise, The Future of Work. 
questions including what are we missing when we work remotely or how do we handle work-life balance when a major opportunity comes knocking. From the provocative to the technical, we're offering insights you won't want to miss. So tune in to the future of work, a Prop G Pod special sponsored by Canva. You can find it on the Prop G Pod wherever you get your podcasts. Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. And we're back here on the midweek mailbag schedule release week. We'll know everything. And maybe by the time you're listening to this, you already do know everything. But uh, we'll get to that. We'll have our own special show for that on Thursday night live on twitch.tv slash Pride of Detroit up on your podcast feeds on on Friday, breaking down the line schedule. But we are getting back into your questions. And Eric, I avoided this question last week. I almost want to do it again this week. But the people want to know, Eric, Lions <laughs> didn't address defensive tackle i guess as much or early enough for a lot of lions fans so they they're asking they're knocking down our doors eric is there a free out agent out there that can save us at defensive tackle who are the lions going to sign next eric help us we need help <laughs> well they're i don't think they really are going to do anything pressing right yeah. like they just look the way that the team is the way the teams typically operate is they they get what they've done in the draft and they, and they add in a couple of free agents post-draft like we're seeing uh, today. And we are, they're going to take that 90 man roster and then they're going to put them through the ringer in, in OTAs and, and minicamp. And they're really not going to be pressed to try and find a solution there. Right. The, the roster that they have is the roster that they have probably for the next month or so. And then after that, they'll get a better idea of what they have. But again, they won't feel that pressing need and because even the what they learned during spring camp isn't really going to be, you know, like a, a definitive answer to can this player, do they have enough players at defensive tackle? So I fully expect them to not make any big swings uh, at defensive tackle in the spring or the summer. And then when they get into the fall and they start, you know, working these guys out, start putting them more in football situations, then that's when you might see a move for a guy like an Isaiah Bugs, or, you know, maybe a guy like uh, Chris Wormley. Right. Um, Chris Wormley kind of fits into the mold of he can play closed end, but he's a little bit too big for a closed end because he's more like a five technique. But in that uh, in the Lions scheme, those five techniques can also be like like four I threes. And so they may look to add depth that way. If they can't Levi's health is health is going to be a lot of, you know, what indicates a, a strong move. Sure. But I am not expecting a big move or like a splash signing 
until the fall if one if comes all. at all yeah, yeah if one comes at all um full disclosure here too like in the middle of us recording this podcast, Lions reportedly signed Christian Covington, who, who plays a little interior. Um, For sure. Yeah. He's so, gone every played nose and three. Yeah. And yeah. So that's probably the answer most of you are looking forward to. Like that, that's probably the signing that you're getting this time of year. Is that oh game. yeah? I don't think that's the answer people want. Right. But that's no. the, but that's the type of move that you're gonna get yes. right now, is because you're getting like guys that are gonna fill in. Yep. As opposed to guys that are necessarily maybe going to challenge for a job, those bigger moves tend to happen in camp because a veteran like even Wormley, yeah, well, well Wormley's not going to want to like join a team right now and like you know right. have to get up to their speed, um, health wise, pass their physicals, and then like he's just all these veterans are willing to wait. Let me let me throw one word at you. Okay. And I just I I'm, I want to I want to see your visceral reaction to it. Sue, it's the same thing. Sue might not sign till week eight. You know <laughs> what I mean? Like honestly, like Sue's gonna say, "All right, where where's my best chance to get to the Super Bowl again? Right. I'll, I'll sign with that team with a month left in the season." <laughs> like honestly, like I mean, that's, that's where essentially he, what he did, right? Last right. Year. Right. And there's no reason for him to change that. This Sue is a business man who makes business decisions. His business decision is let me jump on the coattails of uh, the team. I think might have the best chance because I want to make myself, you know, if I can say I'm a multi Super Bowl champion, it makes (laughs) me my marketing, you know, team job a little easier, a little better chance at a, at a gold jacket as well. Um, let's, let's stick with the defensive line here. Uh, our question, next question comes from Joseph Nicholas at G F R I E 11 on Twitter asks, what are the expectations for Josh Pascals? He seems like the forgotten high pick and seemed to show some flashes, but didn't do much as a rookie. What should we expect in year two? More contributions and a lot of uh, competition with him and John Kaminsky. Mm -hmm. I think the two of them uh, originally when they drafted Pascal was they thought he had a chance to be what Kaminsky is. right? Right. And so that ceiling is still there. They just happen to come up with the John Kaminsky who fits exactly what they want. They understand how to use them and he's motivated to, to be the guy. A 50-50 split between those two at closed end is not unheard of. Uh, Getting both on the field at the same time and pushing one into the three, especially if you don't add a defensive tackle, that seems like it could be in the plan. So I fully expect those two to kind of hold down that base, you know, closed end spot. But then you're also going to get sprinkles of challenges from guys like Romeo and Charles Harris on that side. And so it gives them a lot of flexibility, but I think what he's been doing and what Kaminsky have been doing, it's very possible that those two guys just see the same type of thing. They just, uh, you see a a larger output from Pascal in that, in that uh, realm. But he's going to have to earn it, right? Like, I don't think, I I think if, if, if week one was next week, it's probably like 70, 30 split with Kaminsky, right? Yeah, I mean, Kaminsky's earned that, yeah. right? Like the, his contract says that he's earned that job. Um, but good teams have, you know, you, you're you at least too deep in on the edge. And so, 
you 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 want to be able to roll those guys, and I think they can they can do that. It's 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 really interesting because I think we saw it when we were doing the fifty three man roster. You certainly saw it when you were doing the the depth chart. Like they're they're so deep at edge right now that I feel like projecting who's going to play where and like how often who's going to play yeah. where that's that's going to get worked out in the next couple months. Like people there last year. They joked about they didn't joke. They were serious about there being a bloodbath competition at linebacker. This is mm-hmm. where the real bloodbath competition is going to be during training camp is there's and there's nothing wrong with having a heavy rotation across the board, right? You want to keep guys fresh. You want right. to throw offensive linemen for a loop by saying, hey, this guy was in front of you last play, but it's going to be an entirely different guy this play. And next series, it's going to be an entirely different set of guys. That's good. That's advantage defense. Um, but at the same time, like you want you obviously want your best guys out there the most and Josh Pascal hasn't worked his way into that conversation to get 50% of the snaps yet. Certainly yeah. could be. And I, yeah, I, I think there's there. plenty, plenty of hope for him still. Right. It's not like, mm-hmm. Oh, they, they resigned John Kaminsky. That, that means they don't have any faith in Pascal. No, I don't, I don't read it that way at all. Um, but, but he's just going to have to earn his way up there. Like, like everyone else on the team, right. They, they talk about personal responsibility. They talk about earning your way and not give, not handing, starting spots to draft picks and things like that. You got to, you got to earn your way there. And so I don't know where things stand currently with Josh Pascal, but um, in order to him to get to kind of a place where maybe he met, he meets his draft value meets being a, a, a second, second round pick. Yep. Um, <clears throat> he's going to have to, he's going to have to improve and listen, year one, a year two, everyone says that's the biggest jump. So you know, injuries in the past now, hopefully. And, uh, and we'll see what he can do. The The crazy thing is, they have four guys who have started for them at defensive end in the past on the roster right. ahead of them. So it's not like he has a an, an, an easy path. Like he's like you said, he's yeah. absolutely going to have to earn it. Um, next question here. Uh, this is a, a long one from our, our friend Adam uh, Zen Master on on Twitter. I'm going to shorten it to one sentence here. Basically, it was asking me year one. I had questions about Dan Campbell um, because I, I I wanted to wait and see. The coaches that he got around him, he answered that question. The next year, I said, hey, Dan Campbell, I want to see you improve at time and game management. Um, Had some bumps in the road, but I think we can all agree probably got better by the end of year two. So what in year three are we hoping to see growth-wise from Dan Campbell, the head coach? You know, um, I I still think there's like little nuances of his mm-hmm. game that he's still working on cleaning up. Sure. Um, I think he's gotten better uh, at a lot of those like decision-making late in games. Uh, I think his, his delegation uh, of responsibilities has improved as well, but there's still, you know, there's still little things that you, that can always be improved. Right. Yeah. And so, I don't think there's like necessarily one thing that's like standing out as like glaring because you saw some of those improvements, um, you know, as the season progressed, right. You saw them change how they approached fourth downs from early in the season versus late in the season. Um, The only thing that I think maybe I might be a little critical of is while I think he kind of, he turned the offense over to Ben Johnson, he's still always kind of overlooking that offense because I think that's in his nature. Yeah. But with defense, 
he seems to let it be the Aaron Glenn show. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if he's as involved on defense. Right. And and if you look at Aaron Glenn, sometimes Glenn can uh, have a great game plan and then get stuck moving away from that game plan, kind of like what we saw in Carolina. Right. Like he was late to a very late to adjust there. And I, I, again, this is my interpretation. I have no idea if this is like real or not, but like, I wish Campbell would have gone in and said, you've got to make a change like now, like you can't just hope that your game plan is going to work. Um, And I, cause I feel like he's done that on offense when things weren't going, you felt like you saw Campbell over Ben Johnson's shoulder. And I don't think I ever really recall seeing that from Glenn. And I, and again, I may be completely off base, but that's kind of like from an outside perspective, maybe one of one critical thing I could point out. Yeah, I mean, it, it's tough because from a leadership standpoint, Campbell has checked almost every box at this point. Right, right. right. He, he's hired smart people around him. He's made tough coaching decisions. He's made tough personnel decisions. He's communicated with the media in a smart and intelligent way that, that gives us information without necessarily giving away you know, advantages for, for the other team. And he's improved in, in a lot of those areas that, that you've mentioned. I would still say there are some game management stuff that I still do have some questions about. And, and here's the thing. I don't think, I don't think he's going to change that much because he's at, at the core of who Dan Campbell is. He's a go by your gut guy. Right. And if that's the case, then, then he's going to do some things on fourth down. I don't agree with. And I just, that's, at that point, it becomes a me problem because he, he is who he is, right? I want him to go by the book, by the fourth down bot 99% of the time. He's not going to. <laughs> um, he's going to more often than most coaches, though, which is why I do respect him and 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 very much appreciate who he is as a head coach. But like he it was the whole field goal thing in, in Minnesota. I believe he did it again against the Bills, right? There was another game in which he did something very similar and it worked out in their favor, but it's just like, did you learn from that? I don't know. Um, and, and it's fine. Like it's, if, if that, if that is like the one hangup I have with Dan Campbell is every now and then every third time he's going to make a fourth down choice that I don't like, I can live with that. But at the same time, as this team gets better and better and more and more, you know, games are are higher and higher stakes and you're you're competing with better and better teams. Those things are going to get highlighted, right? People are going to mm-hmm. get mad every time. And here's the thing, like, it's not going to be unique to the Lions. People will say fire Campbell, fire Campbell, fire Campbell. When those moments happen, I'm not going to be one of them, even though I will say like he made a mistake there. I'm not going to say fire Campbell because. Everyone hates their head coach in terms of clock management. Everyone <laughs> hates their head coach in terms of fourth down decisions. More often than not, Dan Campbell is on the right side of that. And so it's nitpicky of me to say, like, he still doesn't do everything that I want him to do. But that's where I'm at with him is like, I don't have it. Like, what could I even possibly else be mad at at this point? Nothing. <laughs> Nothing. Uh, yeah, I, I, I really no. I was going to say, I really do think at this point, we're nitpicking really anything. Yeah. Right. And I think it's, it's the same for the coordinators as well. I think when we're, when it's, there's a little bit more to pick on, on Aaron Glenn, you know, because of the, he hasn't had the talent. Right. But even, even Ben, 
you know, we've seen, you know, we look at Ben as like this, you know, walks on water type of coach, but right. even, even he had some mistakes early in that season that um, had me yelling into the microphone. Yeah. I, I can remember at least one of them. <laughs> <laughs> um, last one we'll close out on here uh, from our live Twitch chat. hungry lions fan asks if Gibbs and Laporta take snaps in the slot, does that mean St. Brown will play more on the outside? Not necessarily because it you can have anywhere from one slot to like three slot receivers, depending on if you want to go five wide or if sure. you just keep one in the backfield, you split your tight end out or in line. Like you you can you can utilize multiple multiple tight end or multiple slot options uh yeah. at, at a time. So I don't think it necessarily means like it's an automatic push St. Brown outside, but at the same time, St. Brown does take snaps on the outside. He does line up in the backfield every once in a while. Um, and you're going to see Gibbs and him maybe flip spots just to uh, mess with defenses. And so I, the options that they have is, is going to be increased from what they've had previously, but I don't know if they're going to be like too quick to move St. Brown off of what he's been doing, mostly because uh, he's a pro bowler, <laughs> you know, pretty good at what and, he's doing already. Right. And it's a, it's a, if it ain't broke, don't fix it type yeah. of thing. It is interesting though, because if you throw in obviously the fact that JMO is suspended for the first six games, like there's, yeah. there's a need for an outside yeah. guy. So maybe if there's anything that pushes him to the outside a little bit more often than, than what he's doing now, that might be it. But I'm with you. Like, I, this is not like, this is not going to be a drastic shift. And I'm not saying that the, the, the question was suggesting it would be a drastic shift. Mm-hmm. Maybe, maybe a slight increase, but you also brought in Marvin Jones. Maybe not for that direct reason. Maybe they did or did not know about the suspension at the time that they signed him. But um, you have that now, right? You have him, you have Josh Reynolds. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you have some guys that you like on the outside, and I mean, maybe maybe Antoine Green works his oh, way yeah. in the conversation. He, he's for sure an outside guy, and if he yeah. makes that roster, yeah, for sure. But maybe we we like we like teasing it every time. Maybe Shane Zilstra is is now in that conversation because he <laughs> dropped thirty pounds according to the website. But uh, that's obviously still a wait and see. That's something that another thing that you know, we were talking in our break about rookie minicamp coming up in OTAs and stuff. Position changes are a thing that we we find out about in the next couple of weeks. So uh, we'll keep an eye out for all of that stuff. Uh, we'll we'll have a report from rookie minicamp, all that sort of stuff coming up on Pride Detroit. Obviously, schedule stuff as well. But that'll do it for our midweek mailbag. Uh, if you want to join us again, join us Wednesday afternoons, 1230 p.m. Eastern on our Twitch channel, twitch.tv slash Pride Detroit. But for Eric, I'm Jeremy. Thank you all for listening. It's chaos. Be kind.